welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 88. And today, joined by yet another debutant, PB Man. Is that what we're going to call you all episode? Yeah, I think so. I like the name. Why not? <laughs> How are you doing today, sir? Yeah, good. Thanks, you. Yeah, very well. So it's been a, a bit of a journey trying to get you on the show, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not the best with updating my technology. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully the laptop survives. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm hoping this laptop that you've got right now will last the whole episode. But why don't you tell the listeners a bit more about your uh, Football Index journey and what you've been doing until now and kind of a bit more about your background? Yeah, sure. So I come, like, I imagine 90 nine percent of people that are on your podcast from the sound of it from a betting background um like fairly standard stuff well kind of more professional level than the casual level um i work in the gambling industry so i'm kind of quite heavily involved with that kind of stuff i was aware of the index for maybe two years before i joined it when i should have joined two years before really but back then it was only media there's only 200 players, your players get relegated out of the list and all this kind of stuff it looked like. I wasn't convinced by it until I looked at it again a couple of years later and saw what a change there was. PB was involved, which, given my name, you can mm. imagine I'm, I'm a fan of. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be yeah. It'd weird if you were up the weekend, for sure. And yeah, it became, I saw it, I looked at it, and what I actually did, I'm very like figures-orientated was I got some data, I got the dividend yield of the players and the price of the players, and I divided them. And I think Paul Popper at the time was doing 50% annual yield. And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> that's that's silly. I think that he's heavily undervalued. If you hold him for three years, you'll make a humongous profit, and then you're able to sell him as well. So, mm. yeah, why, why aren't I putting money into this? And then, yeah, kind of work my way from there, really. Awesome, awesome. Is that kind of data-driven interest, so to say, does that play a part in your professional life at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I was probably one of the earlier sort of recreational users of expected goals, like the football statistic. Mm. Um, like, I imagine some people listening will be very familiar with it. Some people, if I explain it, their heads would pop. That's kind of the kind of reaction you get. Like, Jeff Stelling's not a fan. I know that much. <laughs> yeah, so the thing is... I know quite a lot about football and I can watch a game and see what's happening or whatever, but you have your like intrinsic biases where just because I don't think someone's a good player doesn't mean they're not a good player for the index. Mm. I mean, yeah. And the data can help flag that up where you're not seeing properly what's going on basically. And also it's the thing of like, uh, even if your eyes are super good, like if you can see like everything in a game, you can't watch every game. There was like, yeah. um, I don't know if you're aware of stats bomb, but I was at one of their yeah, conferences yeah, yeah. and the main guy, Ted Knutson, he's like a data analyst who works for like uh, professional football clubs and stuff. They work with PSG. Mm. He was saying he was in an interview with Bob Bradley, the US coach, the manager of the US, USA. Not anymore, mm. actually, but at the time. And Bob like flagged up concerns with like the expected goals method. He was like, but I can see more accurate with my eyes what's happening. But Ted pointed out that like, that's great, Bob. <laughs> and I wish you could have you watch every game. But we're analyzing like, tens of thousands of games every single touch but what we can do best is try and replicate your eyes across that spectrum so that's kind of what the data is trying to do mm. Mm. and even if say your eyes quote unquote are say 90 percent accurate 
watching one game, if you can then scale that via data and the data is 80 to 85% accurate, but across 10,000 games, then there's only one winner, isn't there? Oh, precisely. You've kind of nailed it there. But it's very succinct. It's good, good, good summary. <laughs> Have you got a job for me? Uh, oh, maybe. We'll speak after. <laughs> I'm joking. I think we should probably get into the questions, but before we do, uh, I just wanted to plug myself, as I always do. If you guys have not subscribed to the podcast, please do so. And if you've already p- subscribed, why not leave a review? Leaving those five-star reviews make my heart warm. <laughs> uh, I think there's like 120 or so right now, which is almost unbelievable, really, considering uh, the podcast has only been live not even two years. If you guys want to head over to the U- my YouTube channel as well, just type in Football Index Guide on YouTube or on Google, you'll probably find it. The latest episode of the Bank Builder series, the season two, is out now and has over a thousand views, which is awesome. So keep on watching those, keep liking those videos, and yeah, get into the comments, get stuck into the comments if you guys have got anything to say. Uh, we'll move on to the questions, uh, miscellaneous ones to start with, as usual. Ash underscore fi. If you had to rename Football Index, what would you call it and why? Uh, I had a quick think about this, but this is not my area of expertise. I'm not creative like that. So it's probably best left to the pros. I actually quite like the name Football Index. It kind of sums up quite like an index is a selection of stocks, basically, isn't it? Yeah. So like the FTSE 250 is like 250 most valuable or most popular stocks in the UK, yeah. I remember. And I guess Football Index is the best footballers in the world. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense. Like it's a subsection of like the best football players. So I, I quite like the name, to be fair. And I would want to embarrass myself trying to come up with something better. Yeah, I think I might follow suit there. And uh, even though my kind of expertise may or may not be in the the kind of branding and marketing world i don't want to uh, put myself out there and say something silly like <laughs> virtual match tax or match, match tax with an x though obviously to avoid copyright yeah would oh, be probably there, wise yeah, you've done this before <laughs> um radio yeah sorry uh, ash i don't have anything smarter and neither does pb um, maybe ash does comment, comment underneath maybe ash, ash does yeah, yeah. Yeah, why don't you comment, respond to the podcast if you guys have got any good alternative names to, to, to what Football Index could have named themselves. Just a segue to get his idea out, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably. All Clued Up has a couple questions. If you have the power, and then he's got a little crown emerging okay. like a king, what would be the one thing you could change on the Football Index straight away? I'm presuming that crown is like you'd supersede Adam Cole and, and kind of the board. You'd be like the queen or the chancellor of, of <laughs> oh, Football Index. Yeah. yeah, all the power. Um, I'd, well, number one change for me that I would love to make, tiered PB. And I know that gets brought up a lot. But for me, that would make a big difference, at least from my point of view. So one of the most annoying things is when you find a player who's like undervalued, possibly. He's cheap. You, you see he has like the potential to produce like a 200 plus score kind of in the dividend winning range and then that rare day comes uh-huh. and they absolutely smash it like 220 points whatever and then in the eight o'clock kickoff on is backup right winger has the game of his life and like to paraphrase drake you go from like 100 to zero real quick and like that's it <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the, the paraphrase has kind of killed me there. I really didn't I didn't expect that to come up. But I do get what you mean. And I think it was brought up on the podcast last week with Yavi. He talked about how tiered PB would be kind of monumental for the index. And it was quite weird. I think when Kieran 
Adam and Mike were on the show mm-hmm. last summer, we kind of discussed tiered PB because that was a thing that was requested quite often. I don't know if you guys remembered listening to that episode. Yeah, they ruled it out, didn't they? They said it wouldn't happen. Yeah, it was it was very quickly kind of swept under the rug. And then it wasn't really talked about in the community for the next few months, maybe up till Christmas time. And then maybe when in play dividends came in, people kind of questioned whether or not, you know, tiered BBB would actually be possible. Um, it would certainly, in my opinion, anyway, regardless of the matrix, maybe make it more reflected on kind of actual performances mm-hmm. with respect to pricing on the index. I think it would probably also make some player prices more stable. So those kind of like premium prices or players, if you kind of look at, you know, really big either um, stocks, companies that people hold for like a long time in dividends or or kind of, you know, bonds mm-hmm. or whatnot, I'm not trying to compare them directly to players on football index of course because this is a gambling company but it would give them more of a that kind of premium feel you'd also get the idea of kind of someone paying you know seven quid now for a neymar they'd then essentially have 150 chances of winning pb over a seasonal period rather than kind of 50 if that makes sense yeah that does make sense but i'd kind of, I'd, I'd echo that to be fair i think the pb players have maybe risen in terms of yield, they've risen pretty quickly. Um, dividend yields uh, compared to media players. Media players are kind of like that. They were kind of a little bit undervalued. It's changed a little bit recently. But it's because the PB players are more excited and they're cheaper and there's a chance of like it's more rewarding to see them win. So I think, I think naturally people like mm-hmm. gravitate towards and buy them even though the return isn't as high. So they kind of catch any dividend increase up pretty quickly, if you see what I mean. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think it's an interesting situation because obviously short term for FI, for their pockets and for their balance books, I'm not sure it's probably the best idea. No. But I think longer term for the platform and kind of for the user experience, it's probably beneficial. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I guess the other issue they have with if you're paying out free places, the variance goes down. So those big players who they pay out a lot and if they win like how many Neymar shares are there now I, I don't want to do that calculation <laughs> but um yeah yeah Share split times two yeah, yeah. But, but a lot basically <laughs> and yeah if he wins that's a big payout whereas if they can kind of like like if he's consistently winning week after week after week in the top three places then that's going to hit their pockets obviously I don't know what their financial situation is but that's why I would change anyway if I was omnipotent on the index Oh, uh, I think, yeah, you've made a fair few really important points. The last one that I think maybe isn't raised often when we talk about tiered BB is maybe that the lack of kind of a, a free, accessible football index data product that is built by them and is part mm-hmm. of the app and is part of the website maybe means that if you make the product more reliant on analytical data and that is what makes you or more li- makes you more likely to profit and give you an edge, then if FI don't have that and then they release tiered PB, you suddenly have a lot of lay- layman traders that are kind of like, bloody hell, I don't know how these guys are finding these players at 45p and then they're going to 90p three months later when they have good PB performances. But when, you know, the matter of the fact would have been that those kind of more savvy traders or maybe not even more savvy, more data-driven say, tra- traders could have looked at the data and seen potential there as kind of you alluded to earlier. Yeah, I can see that, especially well, the debate about the performance matrix and stuff like that. It, 
might not necessarily make complete sense. You were just joining up and you saw Teddy Savanier was one of the most expensive players. But <laughs> the, I don't think that's too much of a problem. I think anybody who's going to put like serious money into the index is going to look at these things, or at least they should do. Mm. If you're listening mm. to this and you haven't and you put lots of money in, <laughs> maybe consider it. <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh if you do have a significant amount of capital in fi then you know looking at as many different opinions data products etc doing as much research as you can is is probably not going to harm you Uh, football index focus here would you be in favor of a who scored team of the week dividend or a similar concept being implemented in addition to performance buzz media buzz and in play dividends (laughs) all those dividends yeah um I would cautiously uh, be in approval of it. I think it would have to be done carefully because, as we saw with like when they introduced the in-play dividends, no player was made less valuable, but some players were made more valuable. Uh, mm. I talk quite a lot about opportunity cost and things like that. Where, so for example, when they bought the in-play dividends in, you're adding value to a lot of players that didn't have that before, and whilst that's not mm. taking any value away from, say, a defender. The fact that there's now a more attractive alternative for the same money or less money or whatever the case may be means that by moving money over, you make more money, basically. Uh, so when you're looking to like maximize the use of money, it's, it's like a no-brain sell defender and buy the striker, and that causes swings in the market, instability, and things like that. So I actually thought they, they really improved on it when they opened the media up to now the top 200. They combined it with, with an increase yeah. and like stats to show like nobody would be affected by it and all this sort of stuff. So... I don't know how they would manage that, but that's the kind of thing I'd like to see if they were to introduce something like that, which would be a good addition, I think. Yeah, I just worry about the layers and layers of complexity. I think even just reading that tweet out, it kind of scared me a little bit. Implemented in addition to performance buzz, media buzz, and in-play dividends. And I think if you keep on layering on you know things on top of things then you're going to get to a situation where someone looks at this product or 90 percent of product people look at this product and they're like jesus christ how long does it even take to get like i was i did a um i did an ask me anything mm-hmm. kind of thing on twitter just silly had an hour spare uh was in between meetings and someone was like oh what happens to your futures after three years and i said well they just become void they basically vanish into existence and the guy was like really that's so scary i've been on a year and never heard of it so if you think about that that someone's been on the platform for a year and i'm not saying that that person is like you know dumb or anything like that i'm just saying that this is a complicated product and even though many people will say and i've had this argument with many people on twitter where they say oh well you know they should be looking at the terms and conditions and they should be looking at the game rules but really if you're designing a product you need to make it as natural as an and as intuitive as possible so that you know people don't look at it and shy away they look at it and say wow this is bloody easy to use this is really simple and i think that if fi start adding things like this whilst it actually might be good for the market i'm not sure if it's good for the product if that makes sense yeah i can understand that i'm just trying to think of maybe a simpler way of implementing something like that i was thinking you could like tack it onto the in-play dividend maybe like the who yeah. score man the match gets a penny dividend that could maybe make it a bit simpler or you could add it on to people yeah i don't really see why it had to be as a kind of separate thing right yeah true you could do again that would need to be very carefully handled yeah i mean would it like i think that of all of all the things would be 
kind of the, the least of their worries if they were just adding a penny or two onto PB. I don't know. Unless it was its own separate category. I don't know. I don't know how it would work. But Yeah, it's getting complicated again. <laughs> yeah, that's the very thing. Like, as I, I was about to say, to took the words out of my mouth. The more we talk about it, the more complicated it seems. And whilst it's a nice idea maybe for the market or from the market side of things, unsure if it is from the product side of things yeah i think you've convinced you've swung my opinion around a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i was accused of doing that too much in the last episode it was kind of like oh when they don't agree with you you just move on and when they do agree you just you don't take the other side i don't think you can win (laughs) (laughs) people like complaining Uh, fair enough any other comments or thoughts on, on that kind of thing is there anything that you'd probably do with what what are your thoughts about in-play dividends, for example, and PB and MB as they are at the moment? Well, I really like the in-play dividends after the initial sort of crash, not not crash, but the kind of rearranging of money around into these players. Like, I think everybody's kind of recovered and it's back to how it was. So yeah, in-play dividends are cool. Like, it, it makes sense. It's like it's like an instant win. Like It's a lot of fun when you buy a player for the first time. They might not win PB for six months, but they score the week you buy them. Oh, nice. Um, my players already returned me some money. I like this. You know, it's, it is that kind of instant, instant win, which is, I guess, it's a good addition because, like when, like I said, when because PB is just a single player on a treble day, you could hold a player for a season, and well, Memphis Depay, a really good PB player, the season before, you could hold him all season. He won on the last game, I think. He didn't win all season in the last game, so like the, the payout <laughs> yeah, on him was still yeah. quite good. Like his yield was okay, but the patience required to wait all season. Whereas if you had a bought Memphis by mid-season, he scores a brace or whatever on the weekend, he might not win, but at least you're getting something in. So I quite like that side of it. I think with the PB and MB balance, I would not be opposed. Again, handle cautiously, seeing PB take on more of a priority like in terms of payouts. At the moment, it seems kind of like the mm. media players are playing a different game to everybody else, which is why they are quite a lot more expensive. Uh, because they're competing for something like a small group of players can win and then the performance side of it isn't as consistent or rewarding at least if you're holding a player he might like he could be an excellent pb player but if he's unfortunate he might not win all season so it, well i'll come to one about pb again <laughs> but yeah 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 you know you never know <laughs> yeah, well you know yeah if i ever see them i might twist their arm in person yeah <laughs> Make the case. Make the case as the kind of like yeah, yeah. Well, properly, I'd, I'd like know, to be. I can't be at the moment. The because, case in point leader of the PB brigade. Yeah, right? yeah, I can't be at the moment because I don't think it. Like the media players are self-anointed, quite, quite in a strike in quite strong position at the moment. Where like the PB players have risen a lot. Like I found myself selling some because mm. I, I've looked at their price and then looked at what I could expect them to win in the season, and it doesn't like add up basically. Like compared to like if I just moved that money into one of the top five media players that I can guarantee they'll sort of do mm. 10% or mm. so in a season consistently as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder maybe is whether or not those players might be quite volatile when the squad opens up. Have you kind of considered that? Yeah, I've thought about it quite a lot. I think for winners, was it 7% of wins would have gone to players outside the top 200 last season? I think it was something like that. I think, I think 93% of wins were still a bit have been within the top 200. Mm. So I'm not sure it have a massive impact. I think it might have a bigger impact than that 7% though, because if that with Hazard leaving and possibly Pogba leaving, there's a big, big media-sized hole there that needs to be filled and spread out. So possibly there might be a few players 
winning from outside the top 200, which would be interesting. We'll move on to the next question here, and this was bound to come up. It's from uh, Sam Richards. Yes, look forward to this. Perfect guy to ask. Paul Pogba, what price is he at Juventus, Man United or Real Madrid come August? And if he left, who fills the media void? <laughs> it's a very tough question. Mystic Ballsheim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Asking the impossible. I wouldn't like to predict exact prices. I can confidently predict that if he's at United, he will be higher than he is now. And if he's not, he will be lower. <laughs> Uh, the groundbreaking right there. You haven't really gone on a limb there, have you? No, no. <laughs> My thought is that if he was to leave, I think there's kind of two two values I would put on him, which is the value I think he would actually be worth and then his price that he would fall to on the mm. index. I feel like the value he would be worth would be lower than his actual price goes for a couple of reasons, which is mm. I think there'll be an anchoring effect. i Anchoring is kind of like when the price of an asset before affects our opinion of it after. Mm. Can you go into that a bit more? Yeah, so there's an economic term like, so because something's priced highly before, we like pin the price to that, we anchor it to it, mm. so it can't swing mm. too far away either side. So yeah. the fact that Pogba's value has gone down a lot in terms of how many dividends we're expecting to win doesn't necessarily mean his price will go down ridiculously because... It will go down, definitely, but probably not as much as it should because people see that he was like £8 or whatever and fix like his value. Like, oh, if it was £8 then, then why should it be £4 now? You're kind of seeing that with Hazard yeah. at the moment, I think, where the price is holding. Yeah. Because people kind of like pin him as this £5 player, even though circumstances have changed. They're kind of keeping him in that range. I think also you get mm. that there'll be some sunk cost fallacy going on there where basically people see people don't like to sell on a red for yeah. some reason. I mean, if you do that, try not to do that because it's irrelevant what price you bought at is the value of the player is now. There's a big enough market that, that will have an effect of people seeing like their pound down on pop or whatever won't want to sell until they see him heading back towards. I think he might fall less than people expect, but I wouldn't want to put a figure on his price at all. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that he will inevitably fall if he's not at United come the new season. What I do, and I think Football Index SODD talked about this quite well when he was on the podcast a while ago, talks about how he broke down players into what they're worth for a media buzz and what they're Mm -hmm. worth for performance buzz. So if you do that with Pogba right now and you have his price, which is uh, like 680 now, right? Something like that? Yeah. How much of his price would you attribute to media buzz? Vast majority. Yeah, so let's say £6 or £5.50. That means it leaves you with 80p to £1. uh, Yeah, 80p to £1.30 worth of PB, if that makes sense. So, in other words, if there was no media buzz, what would Pogba be worth? Would he be worth like £1.30 or £1.50 or £1, whatever? And if it was just media buzz, would he be worth £5.50 or £6? He'd probably be worth more because it's just media buzz. But anyway, you kind of get the, the drift. Yeah. And then if he moves to one of these teams, kind of then think about what he's worth from a media standpoint and what he's worth from a PB standpoint. And I definitely encourage people to look at kind of the media returns from players outside the Premier League that aren't Neymar, Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. Because I think you're looking at anomalies in those three. Well, you're right. That's, that is a good way of breaking it down. He is primarily media driven and it's naive to think that wouldn't fool. 
it'd be interesting to see what his media pull is like outside the Premier League, especially bearing in mind Hazard's not there and that would mean he wasn't in the Premier League as well. But I wouldn't want to be holding Pogba the day he announced the move, basically. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a tough one for traders at the moment because the dividends are so regular. But I think you need to take a slightly forward-looking approach and think about his potential price at the other clubs. His potential club's price at United yeah. plus the dividends plus the dividends I think that's quite important to say and then weigh up the upside versus downside and then you can come to kind of like a educated decision yeah that's spot on but it's difficult to at the moment because it's hard to work out exactly how likely he is to leave it seems to change by the day which that does make it tough to put like an accurate because we're dealing with where if he does stay at United the day he announces he's staying or signs a new contract gets made captain whatever he'll be absolutely flying up as well there's a clear win-loss here. I don't see him staying at £6.80 at the end of the summer. He'll either be quite a lot lower or quite a lot higher, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's just looking at what you think that high point is if he stays and what that low point is if he does, in fact, move. Which, which is Yeah, and important. also the, the percentage chance of yeah. each one happening. So if it was 90% he was going to stay, then it's looking like a great gamble. If it's 90% he's going to leave, then it's a terrible one. So yeah, because if you are only 10% sure that he's staying and you hold <laughs> Pogba, you're basically giving yourself a 10 to 1 bet in terms of probabilistic odds that he's going to become like 850 or nine pounds and stays. Exactly. Um, whereas on the other hand, the odds of him leaving would be like, you know, one to three or whatever or uh, you know one to five i think people uh are maybe just not thinking probabilistically yeah. in this yeah. scenario it is just nailing that probability of what you think he's going to do i couldn't advise anybody what to do with him i would say try and try and work out for yourself or and if if you're really unsure stay away what about hypothetically if he moves who fills that void oh, that's an interesting question i don't think there is a player that fills that void he's played such a there, there isn't another Paul Pogba figure in the Premier League. I think it gets, I, yeah, I it gets spread about, I think. I really tend to That's agree. another thing you need to be thinking about is, so for example, in order to like, I kind of hedge some of my Pogba by picking up Rashford. Like, so like you think about like, who's going to benefit from Pogba leaving yeah. and it's the other Premier League media boys. A United player possibly, although I'm not, I'm not sure any of them is going to have the pull of Pogba because he's, but I mean, he's, mm. he's perfect. It's almost like, this season, it's always been like he's trying to win media every time. I remember when Mourinho left, and there was a big panic over him, and he just tweeted, like, caption this with a big grin on his face. And I was like, <laughs> well, <if laughs> Paul, wants to win me- Paul wants to win media today. <laughs> yeah, I think <sighs> it's really tough. No one else, there is no one else who fills that void on their own. 100% no chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's as close to a fact, unless, like, Messi went to the Premier League. Or oh, yeah, like if something like, something like that happened, then... Yeah, for sure, but uh, quite unlikely scenario. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to be looking at maybe Neymar going to the Prem, or <sighs> I don't know. I don't know of any other transfer that would come in and sustain their price, if that makes sense. Do yeah, you know what I mean, like apart from a Neymar or someone like that, probably just Neymar. I can't think of any player that comes to the Premier League and then wins media buzz all the way until you know they kind of not retire but kind of until the end of the season and the season after unless we have like a Mo Salah situation someone who joins United and does a Mo Salah I don't know who that could be 
that's unlikely. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, in terms of the forward areas, they're linked with I don't even know who. Like, yeah, that's been the odd thing about them. That's kind of one of the things that got me questioning Pog believing. It's well, why have been linked with replacements or like they, they signed Daniel James? It looks like they're going to get Wamba Saka. Yeah, I think to be fair to them, they have been linked to players in the middle. Uh, they've been linked to Bruno Fernandez and Bruno Fernandez and Don Bele. Um, there's a couple others that are kind of escaping me at the moment. Ersk, uh, who's the Longstaff? That's been yeah, I don't times. think Longstaff. <laughs> they're not replacements, but they're still central midfielders, I guess. So yeah, it's true. We're talking about a, like what 100 million plus cash injections a team that already needs yeah. players. It's interesting. Maybe they're working quite in the background. You never yeah. know. Yeah, but what I mean is like a player that could go to United who's kind of like that exciting attacker that would bring loads of buzz. They're, they're mm-hmm. currently being linked forward-wise with Moussa Dembele, who's currently stinking it up at the France under-21s. And, you know, by the time this goes up, he'll probably score a hat-trick in the next game, but certainly wasn't very <laughs> impressive against England from what I saw. And I don't really think he's kind of a you know superstar material, certainly not any better no. than Lukaku, to be honest. And you got Maro Icardi, who, you know, maybe off the pitch might yeah. <laughs> might do something. But again, like to be of the Pogba caliber, you kind of have to do what he does on the pitch in terms of what he did for United last season and kind of how he won MB for playing badly yeah. and well. And I just don't see anyone apart from someone like Neymar or an Mbappe coming yeah. to the Premier League where, do you know what I mean? That, that just kind of dominates as he has. Yeah, no, just your spot on there um there's a bit of a fallacy going on at the moment where people think just because a player goes to united they're instantly worth a lot more when actually if you look at who's won mead united it's <laughs> <Pogba>. <laughs> but featuring the occasional rash yeah. basically yeah and i think maybe there is also a bias to people who hold certain players because i saw a lot of kind of like oh now that pogba's gone x y and z are going to be amazing for media and that's not necessarily true yeah there is no reason why a player from another team should suddenly win magnitudes more or like triple their previous media yields just because Pogba's left. I don't think it quite works that way. Um, no. Journalists could focus less on the Premier League and more on Ronaldo, Messi and Neymar and Mbappe. Who, who knows? Do you know what I mean? I think it's very strange for people to just be like, oh yeah, definitely. He's definitely now going to fill the void. It's not black and white at all. No, it's, it's definitely interesting. I can't think of a similar. Like definitely last season, we didn't have a big media departure from the Premier League. No, and, no. and we've had we've had the two highest media winners possibly. Well, Hazard's gone, and Pogba may be going, mm. and all of those lovely dividends up for grabs. So we'll see what. <laughs> but not all of them. They will still win, yeah. especially in the first few months of the move. That's another reason why their prices probably won't fall as quickly as they maybe should is because they'll be picking up media for their debuts, first goal, all that kind of stuff. Mm, mm. Have you thought about the possibility of not only Pogba leaving United, but Neymar also leaving PSG? And if he does leave PSG, probably putting in a doubt into a move to either Madrid or you know the Premier League in the future, if the Barcelona rumours are believed to be true. Sell everybody and buy Neymar. <laughs> if Neymar joins United, that would be like curtains, basically. That would be it. Like, <laughs> but I mean, if it is the rumoured Barca move and Pogba does decide to move, then we're suddenly maybe even looking at a bigger media, not a media void, but certainly, you know, a lot of PB up for grabs from in 
the whole of the index really if it's presumed that he'd win less PB. Yeah, he didn't actually win. He did win a lot, but not that much relatively last season. And the other, the other thing about PB is because he only plays what forty games in a season. But depends depends on when his sister's birthday yeah. is. But kind of forty <laughs> games in a season is only like forty opportunities for him to win. So the spread out of that would be quite mm. small, I think. A move to Barcelona would surely remove any prospect of a Premier League transfer from him, whether that's already priced into him. But yeah. we'll find out, I guess. Yeah, but time will tell. No mystic balls here. FI Economist, of the current top 200, how many would you predict will return their current price in dividends by retirement? And what about after accounting for risk and time value of money? Jesus. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. FI Economist is, as his name suggests, really switched on to that kind of stuff. (laughs) I've made a point before of like, I want to see that a player's at least going to return his value in dividends uh, over his career. Otherwise, someone's guaranteed to lose basically or you're buying essentially like i don't want to use the word bubble but i'm going to use the word bubble like are you buying an asset that's worth more than what it's going to return basically so, so someone's mm-hmm. going to lose that you can, you can make money doing that but someone's going to lose there whereas when you're talking about a player that can return his value then you can hold him he's not like if worse came to worse you can sell and rebuy him when he's talking about time value of money he's talking about like opportunity costs and like you could put money somewhere that isn't football index like say stocks or even your bank account if the yield is that low um, what was i gonna say on that mm. oh yeah um he, he asked if how many players i could see um return their value in dividends which at the moment isn't that high but it's kind of complicated because of in play dividends so i'll use that do lands of Sabata, for example i think he's, he's a pound i don't think he'll win a pound of pb and mb mm. over his career However, I think he could make 100 goal contributions quite conceivably, or at least enough goal contributions to build on his PB to make that level. How we factor that into like pricing with commission and rebuying the player every 30 days and stuff like that isn't a calculation I want to do for every player. I would say there are a few there I'm confident will do it. I wouldn't want, mm-hmm. I don't want to name check them because I don't, don't want to pump on the podcast, but there's a few there that I think will. <laughs> and this equation's got a bit more complicated because I think increasing the markets factor in in future dividend increases. So when we're talking about the price of say Jaden Sancho, mm. is at the moment it's kind of hard to tell what he went over his career because in ten years' time when he say Hazard's age, what's the index going to look like? What dividends going to be like? Then absolutely no idea. So it's a very loose rule. Is like uh, basically, I don't, yeah. don't want to be buying a thirty-five-year-old for three pounds that I think is going to return one pound in dividends over the rest of his career because, like, that's a losing equation unless you're fortunate enough to get out in time or whatever. But I guess for anybody sort of age twenty-eight <laughs> yeah. or under at the moment, you can kind of factor in some sort of dividend rise. I mean, if in ten years dividends haven't risen, mm. then something's gone wrong. So it's a complex question, but a good one. Good question. A very good question. The one that hasn't been asked on the on the podcast before. Another complaint. Someone was like, "Don't you find that the questions are always the same?" I was like, "I mean, I don't ask them." (laughs) (laughs) Be the change you want to see in the world. (laughs) Ask a good question. Uh, Canary Trader Fi. Does the top two hundred now or being a pound or more reflect the need for a wave of IPOs for next season? 
Would it be better to have a wider and more thinly spread middle to low end of the market or have larger sums of money move between an increasingly small group of players? Yeah, another interesting question I think I've heard before. Uh, IPOs are essential. There's absolutely no debate about that. I mean, players retire. Like, if you're not going to IPO players at 10 years' time, you're not going to have any players. So, like, that, like, obviously they're essential. Yeah. Uh, and they will happen soon. I don't know what's been going on with them. That They'll happen. He's talking about spreading money more thinly around. I actually think the PB mm. system does quite a good job of rewarding a lot of different players. So the money is quite spread around. Like, the a ball player midfielder can win on a good day a goal scoring striker can win so that the money is spread quite evenly outside of we, we talked about earlier the media players who kind of dominate that and are playing their own game in terms of like purely pb players the money is quite nicely spread i think we've been play dividend stuff going on as well uh whether what was the other part of that question would it be better if money spread around more thinly i i guess i, I don't think it matters too much like it's, it's nice to have a lot of players winning, I suppose. That's good. It's also nice to have consistent mm. winners you can rely on to win dividends and their price will go up also. That's good too. So, yeah, I don't think it makes too much difference. Yeah, I think it's... I get why some people think that IPOs, are, you know, where are they? Where are this player? Where is this player? And they can be used as a tool to acquire customers, for example. But... Mm-hmm. And maybe keep customers around, you don't know. But... It, it's, it's striking to me that if you have a portfolio and you have positions in players, why you encourage IPOs to enter yeah. the market? Because they lower the probability of you winning and they lower the probability of capital moving into players that you own and thus making more money. Yeah. It's a bit strange. And I think for FI to make this kind of a slightly more well-oiled machine, I think what you do is you choose like, I don't know, five dates in a year or one date a month or whatever it may be where players are introduced. And it doesn't have to be set amount of players. Sometimes it might be no players. Sometimes it could be 90. Sometimes it could be 73 or whatever, just depending if there's like a a, a tournament or something like that. And I think that's what FI need to make a bit more streamlined as well as kind of the general system in itself, the actual execution. Is it going to be kind of like a blind bidding process that we've heard them talk about before i'm not too sure yet so it's uh it remains to be seen as to to kind of what happens in that regard yeah you're, you're right it lowers the value of all of your players very very marginally but it does because but if if you know people are saying that there's hundreds of players that are due to be on the platform then surely even if it reduced your odds by 0.01%, then 100 of those is 1% and so on yep. and so forth. Yeah, that's true. I guess lots of players won't be players challenging for now. They tend to be on the younger end of things. But yeah, in the future, they will become... But you have to have them. Like, There's no other option than to IPO players, of course. You mentioned yeah, the system sure. as well, which I would like to see changed also. Of blind bidding, like you said, would be how I would like to see it. But I think that that's a fair way of doing it i'm not sure quite how they would implement that but it'd be good to be able to put your price on the player rather than just hitting the buy button hoping it's a good price and then <laughs> waiting them to drop yeah and uh, i think there were some problems as well as about like not knowing what price you were buying at especially if you were a new trader it kind of really really hurt those traders where they were expending a lot more capital than they thought they were and suddenly they're like oh my god what have they done they just you know, mm-hmm. sell on the as soon as it happens, and they, uh, you know, lose quite a lot of money, and it's just not not really 
like good for anyone for the platform or any traders yeah they need to find a better way of doing it i agree we'll we'll see if they come up with something Mm. maybe that's what the delay's been Mm. Mm. yeah maybe i think i think that might have to be it right it'd be i would find it strange if they just started ipaing players now in the same system considering they haven't done them for like what three months yeah something like that Mm. yeah Mm. i like your idea as well as regular a date to know when well, when they were doing last season, it was kind of irregular when they would appear and you might miss them. Like mm. if, if I was out for a day, like a player I might want has been IPO'd and then I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'd miss that then. So it'd be good to know, like, yeah. And and again, like it, it rewards basically because they put a two-hour window on it, it rewards people who can sit at a laptop and refresh football index for two hours. Yeah, it's not exactly rewarding someone for their football knowledge, nah. is it? No, no, not really. Mm. Let's move on to the next question now. Uh, secret diary of a football index trader. If football index never changed dividends, how do you think the market will evolve? Will it continue to rise regardless of diminishing le- yields? What do you think it would cap out at? Another really good question. An interesting one as well. They're kind of asking like, what level can we expect players to rise to under the current, current dividend payouts? It's, but I find buying a player... I want to see that they're at least going to return their value. What more than their value, really, because there's like the cost of holding a player and other things I could be doing with the money. But it's just easier to say return their value. If dividends are frozen, obviously you're getting an ever diminishing number of players that can do that. And if you knew they were frozen forever, then that would be like, yeah, that would be definitely, at least mm. for me, of putting money in probably. And I don't think the market would rise much higher, although it is a gambling platform. And gambling, by its very nature, is an irrational thing to do for 99.9% of people. But if, if you can place a bet with a sky bet or whoever, it's because they have you tagged as a losing player. So you're basically like, yeah, burning money when you put that bet on. And I guess how much footwind that crosses into that domain is interesting. Like, do people, if dividends were frozen, would people keep playing like <laughs> a game of musical chairs on players? They're never going to return dividends justified value, but maybe you can flip the player on. I guess there's possibly something in that. Like you see that sometimes, and on the way the platform was before, I think a lot of players were quite highly priced on quite mm. minimal returns. I wasn't on the platform then, but I remember seeing a screenshot from someone of like six pound or something for a five p a day mm. payout. Yeah, which was interesting to see. I think Ibrahimovic was an absolutely ridiculous price back then. Which yeah, he was. Again, that plays into the irrationality thing because Ibrahimovic was never ever going to return that price in dividends. Like it's just just impossible unless he played to like forty five or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> and and, but, and yet people were still buying him at that price. So older players in general, I think the market's kind of corrected a little bit on that. I, I got a lot of a lot of abuse for that when I of my first, one of my first tweets was that Cristiano Ronaldo was the most overpriced player on the platform, which did, did not go down well. <laughs> Baptism of fire, but. It's, that's kind of correct itself a bit. So yeah, it's interesting to see how irrational people would be, or even just rational thinking they can hold a player and sell him on. Because like, if you were to buy, are you Sancho as my example again? Just because he's young. Um, if you were to buy Sancho now, you don't have to worry about him retiring for twelve years or whatever, thirteen, fourteen years. So. Would you be concerned by him going to zero? Probably not. So maybe you could think like, okay, the dividend return isn't good, but I think I can flip him on mm. to someone for more. That, that's not how I would like to play things, but I guess people could yeah. do. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. It. How much is it? How much is it like 
investing in yeah. an asset. I don't necessarily like to use the word no, no, no. Is, but, <laughs> but buy an asset, you expect to return value. And how much is it gambling on someone buying a player for more than you bought them for? It's, yeah, like what Soccer Index was saying in the last episode, betting on what people will bet on is what he likes to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, riddle me this, dividends can't grow forever. And if we cap out, there will be a situation where there won't necessarily need to be a, a new influx of money coming in. So how could Football Index kind of pivot and evolve the product to make it so m- new money still can come in? I know it's a nigh impossible question to answer, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think we're, we're years and years from that, is my feeling. It's interesting to think about. I think it would continue. It would be fine. What the market would do is become quite stagnant, where sort of a 10% return seen as a very good thing rather than a what are you doing holding that player? He's only returned ten percent, which it, which is how it has been. Which is quite and un- people maybe have unrealistic expectations of how quickly players should be yeah. rising. So yeah, I think the market would correct itself. We'd probably see like maybe a little fall in players over time to a level where they're kind of worth their value again, and then kind of more trade in the margins there. There'll always be like a friction of like new young players coming through, or like injuries and people replacing players and all this kind of stuff. So I guess maybe market would kind yeah. of like the footy wouldn't be rising like it does. It would kind of be kind of level, maybe rising a bit as more money comes in, and then player price movement wouldn't be huge. So yeah, it's interesting to think about. Hopefully, we're sort of five years or so from that at least. Mm, mm. It's still something that probably the guys at FI are thinking about a bit more. I hope so. uh, we've yeah. yeah, yeah, you'd hope so. Maybe they can find a way to kind of like create artificial inflation somehow, so that the market can continue rising. I don't really know how that would work. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, saying it out loud makes me sound very stupid, and I don't actually think it would work. There's that thing about kind of taking a bulk of the the revenue made from commissions and then kind of stamping that on top of the existing dividends. Uh, well, I like, I like that. That's quite cool. It'd yeah. be quite interesting. But again, then we get back to that question about does how complex does it make it um people don't talk about the possibility of kind of adding other leagues and other players and essentially if you added i don't know the next three leagues down from the top five leagues mm-hmm. and increased the dividends of the you know the top five leagues and kept the dividends the same for those three leagues below like what would happen in that kind of scenario could you continuously keep adding different leagues but then there's still a kind of end point right there needs to be at some point a situation where either we have so much liquidity that with order books um kind of people can buy in and out of players quite frequently and it becomes more of an in-play thing rather than like a long term or like it wouldn't be as easy to win longer term I'm not too sure, but well, you know, that, again, I think you're yeah. right. We are quite far away from that, right? Yeah, it'll probably be kind of like what you see in the stock market where the market's very efficient and it's quite hard to the market, almost impossible to beat the market, to be fair. They're different with footballers because they do have natural career paths and things like that. Companies kind of stay doing what they do as long as things are going well. So yeah, it is really interesting to think about. I'm not really sure what the solution is. What I would say is that they have like barely scratched the surface of the potential user base. Like UK wise, it's starting to get there, but worldwide, like the figures you see in gambling are ridiculous. The, the amount of revenue sort of a Bet365 mm. pulled in. Not that, not that I think it could ever be as big as Bet365, but even like 10% of that would be like a ridiculous mm. level to reach. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to think about, but it's not really something to 
con- get concerned with for some time now, hopefully. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I don't think there's any concern for the near future. On to our last question, FI Lambings. Where do you draw the trade-off line between opportunity cost and diversification? For zero opportunity cost, should you have all your eggs in the best basket, but for a diverse portfolio, you can't do that. So where, where do you strike the line between risk and reward, I guess, is the question. Yeah, that's basically what the question boils down to. There are players that I think are super undervalued and I should have as much money as possible into. But by doing that, I raise the risk up because even if like I'm correct and they're like massively undervalued, one like ACL injury or something scuppers all of that, I'd compare it probably to staking and gambling like in betting if you're betting at like a serious level you have a staking plan and what you do is you it assesses for how much of an edge you have how much you put into that bet and it avoids like what we call risk ruin where you basically end up going to zero so i'd use the example of mm. so popper when i joined i did the sums and worked out like, I, he was the most undervalued player on a platform in my opinion which went quite well things went well you know like mm. i would have made much more money if i had to put my entire balance into pogba like that would that would have been a good good year, <laughs> but um, the risk of him getting injured and going like or and then you're putting a lot of capital up for there's a lot of risk basically. But even though the reward is high, I guess as well. Where, he, he asked where I, where do I draw the trade off line, and that line kind of moves like maybe a year ago because so many players were undervalued compared to their dividend returns. I was quite happy holding a lot. I sort of had 100 or so players. I was quite happy holding a lot of players because they were all undervalued. I expect them all to rise. Why miss out on a player just because I think another one's better? I can buy more of better players. Um, but since they're mostly undervalued, there wasn't such a high option. Like the, now that players maybe aren't rising as quickly, there's a higher opportunity cost of holding an inferior player. So for example, if I hold a player who's not great and he doesn't move for a year, um, and another player goes up 50% or so, then I've cost myself quite a lot. Whereas when it was kind of like every player was kind of doubling within a year, it was kind of kind of immaterial a little bit. So I've kind of, as kind of players started hitting, hitting where I thought their like peak price would be or what I valued them at, I would sell them off. So I'd end up with a less diverse, not, not always, you can't do it perfectly, but trying to keep that down. So I, I, I think before the in-play dividends came out, I was down to like 20 or 30 players, somewhere in that range. And then when they came out again, there was a lot of undervalued players because they just added a load of value to players who scored goals, basically. So again, my portfolio expanded out and we, we rose again. And now again, I'm finding myself selling players off to hold the ones that I think are the best value. So yeah, I guess, I guess it moves like... You'll never get that opportunity cost anywhere near zero, and that's assuming you're you're right about the percentage chances of different things happening, which mm. you're probably not. So, yeah, it's best. So, yeah, kind of striking that balance risk and reward, where like you, you hold players that you think are undervalued and are going to return good dividends, but you're not so heavily yeah. invested in any of them that like one of them, like yeah, pulling the hamstring is going to cause you some grief. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting what you said there about kind of doing the math yourself in terms of working out the probabilities and, and maybe assuming you're wrong, how important is it to kind of stay an objective in that mindset and try and not be too biased to your own thinking? Yeah, it is important to 
But what I do is I try and look for a range of opinions as well. Uh, there's a really good book. It's called Super Forecast, and it's about like basically they ran a test of people who could predict things. Mm. So they, they ran a prediction game for years of predicting world events. And then once that was over, the guy ran like a study of like what made these. Uh, they, they got a statistically significant number of predictions, like way better than average. So he could see like how they fought, how they made their predictions. And like sharing ideas was a big thing about uh, these super forecasters, as he, as he called them. So that is important is to not yeah. have a tunnel vision that you're always right. It's good. Sometimes I'll dangle things out on Twitter to try and get a response. <laughs> Maybe to say something <laughs> a little bit controversial just to kind of get like a wide range get people of opinion. Riled up. Yeah, yeah, it gets the people going. <laughs> but yeah, what, what else was I going to say on that? I think uh, it's very interesting. That was a book that was talked about by Sam Friedman when he came on the show. Yeah, yeah. A uh, really, really smart guy. But he was talking about how even if you had they can i think they compared the results to all the random people that they asked to make these predictions to kind of experts right yeah is that the case yeah yeah so experts maybe weren't as accurate as you would expect them to be and actually some of the yeah. super forecasters were not who you would put your money on being the super forecasters like retired math teachers and things like that just because of the way they think <laughs> like lend itself well to yeah so yeah that, like try and keep your mind open to different viewpoints basically which is hmm. an interesting thing which is hard to do, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing on that, that I was going to say is that it's very hard to actually judge whether you are good at assessing those percentages because <laughs> they are percentages. Like, if I think something's 99% likely to happen and it doesn't, was that because I was wrong about my assessment of the probability or was that because that, I, I just happened mm. to hit that 1% time where something went wrong and it didn't happen? So it's kind of hard to, like, you need to have a big enough sample yeah. of, like, decisions to see if you're actually kind of getting those spot on so yeah it's tough to do very tough to do indeed but we've just i think hit about the hour mark so i don't think i'm going to keep you any longer pb man is there anything that you wanted to cover that you didn't get a chance to uh not not really that, that was a really good set of questions very very diverse and not one that i've yeah. had before <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh maybe those prayers were answered by whoever uh, complained about the lack of diversity in questions a few very you know a few very tough questions that went way above my head i'm lucky i had a smart chap like you alongside me oh, no, to, you to would, answer them you kind of spot on with what you were saying <laughs> i thought it's kind of yeah good to have that reassurance that i wasn't completely wrong so. <laughs> <laughs> uh we're doing it again aren't we though like not taking the contrarian opinion and uh not being part of that super predictor kind of model where we're we're getting as many different opinions as possible just agreeing with each other <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a, opinions aren't all created equally yeah. i mean and I, you can arrive at opinions in a different manner right yeah yeah there's, there's a journey to get there um mm. like how you i'm quite weird with the way i obtained information and i'm always looking at i always look for the contrarian point of view basically to make sure i am right mm. but that doesn't yeah, mean all opinions sure. are equal you should go looking for that because if i said ice was cold yeah. someone on twitter would appear to tell me that actually it was hot and if I add any, if I give any weight to that opinion, then I'm just like ice is 100 cold. So, oh, here we go. <laughs> Although apparently, interestingly enough, hot hot water freezes quicker than cold water. I think actually debates out on that. But is it actually? I think it's the debate is out on that. I'm not sure. A bit outside my area of expertise, but yeah, I don't know. You you Google it. Is that good? Like it? <laughs> I am googling it. <laughs> it's called the Pemper effect. Is the Pemberton effect real? The phenomenon is temperature dependent. 
there is a disagreement about the parameters required to produce <laughs> oh, the effect good. and about its theoretical basis so maybe it's not actually real there we go yes no we don't know (laughs) (laughs) i did not think this is where the conversation was going to go but i'm happy i mean maybe people have tuned out by now so we might be lucky but uh where can people find out more about you on twitter and stuff uh yeah just follow me i think my handle's at pbman9 uh damn you the other eight pb men um (laughs) and and yeah that's basically it really like i'm happy like feel free i've never blocked anyone on twitter i don't think i ever will unless like, it mm. gets to a, a harassment level, which don't, please don't harass me. Yeah. Yeah, just comment under my stuff. If I think your pins are good, I'll follow you. And yeah, that, that's it, basically. Mm, awesome. And you can obviously find me at FIGuide underscore. If you guys are commuting right now, I hope this speeds up your commute and makes it that bit more bearable. If you're not commuting, doing whatever you're doing, shout out to the non-commute crew. Sorry if we didn't get time to answer to all, all your questions. There was quite a few as usual getting more and more in every week and it's getting harder and harder to answer every single one yeah what i might do actually is that there were some good questions that maybe weren't suitable for the podcast or whatever i might just write a text response to some of those i'll go down the tweet and have a look oh definitely definitely do so might have to start doing that in general uh from now on uh thank you very much for listening everyone cheers